When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mutation, it is the key to our evolution. It has enabled us to evolve from a single-celled organism into the dominant species on the planet. This process is slow, normally taking thousands and thousands of years. But every few hundred millennia, evolution leaps forward. Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast devoted to the discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host and Marvel expert, Christopher Bruffett. Chris, how are you doing today? Jesse, I'm doing great, man. I'm so excited to talk about some of the things we're about to talk about. I'm so excited about the news we're going to talk about. Hey, you know, just excited to read a lot of comics. I've been reading a lot of comics lately. Hey, man, it's a good time to do it. Holiday season. It's a good time to read. I've been reading a lot. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts about comics and MCP and just really enjoying all this time in this game and this wonderful universe. I've been taking long walks with my daughter during the day as part of her day. And of course, in that, I'm, I'm just absorbing all this great content in this community, but also in the Marvel comic sphere. And I'm just really taking it all in. I'm just enjoying this time all with Marvel. And with that said, we hope you guys have enjoyed our last episode, Storm. And immediately after, we dropped our first side episode of the X season, which was the X community with Omnis from Omnis Protocol. That's Charles. And Charles came on and me and him built a list from the ground up for the Uncanny X-Men. We had nothing at the beginning, and by the end, we had a full-fledged list. So if you want to listen to that episode and get our thoughts, definitely check out the last episode that came out before this one, because it's definitely something different. And it's really interesting, Chris. We had a lot of people reach out online and say they were literally looking forward to some strategy-centric X-Men content. Well, what do you know? Me and Omnis had already recorded that before those people had reached out. And then, of course, it was a major production to get that trimmed down, because it turns out that me and Omnis talked for a long time time about strategy Go figure. and we had to temper our excitement our discussions and what's so crazy is we had no filler chris we had no filler at all so even me as our show's producer and editor i very little was cut in the way of actual content but we got it as concise as we could and it's really an interesting experiment and something i thought of when before i brought him on the show was i hear a lot of these great podcasts talk about great lists, great tactics cards, great models, what they choose, why they choose them. But I'd never heard a show build a list from the ground up without a list made before, if that makes sense. Do you know what I'm saying? Right, exactly. You guys went in and you talked through your thought process of the 10 models you're going to bring and the cards you're going to bring and the crises you're going to enact. I haven't heard anything like that before. And I thought you guys did an awesome job. Well, I appreciate that. And I cannot thank Charles enough. If you do not follow Omnis Protocol, you absolutely should. Charles has a lot of the same opinions that Chris and I do here. He really respects your time and his production of his show is spot on. And he respects your time as a listener with the topics he's giving you. 
you are diving right into a topic and you are staying there and you're learning all about it and then it's done. It does not overstay as welcome, but also gets an incredible amount of concise and well thought out information. On top of that, he brings other guests on the show, which have a lot of important and exciting things to say about this game. And he doesn't get bogged down by the meta. He has nice spicy takes. He brings exciting things into lists like me and Omnis did by bringing Doctor Strange into our X-Men lists. He does these type of things. Not only are they viable and competitive, but most importantly, Chris, they're fun and thematic. What could you and I ask for more here? Fun and thematic are our love languages. That's right. And I love that that topic came up today. We're going to talk about someone who's very lovely and thematic. That's Beast. And someone we have a lot of affection for, which we'll get to in a moment. But definitely love languages of us on this show. That type of topic is important to me. And I, I think it's important that you, the listener, get to see my thought process alongside Omnis as we create this list that's definitely competitive and viable. And if you'd want to net deck it, I have it in the show notes. But at the same time, we made a lot of interesting decisions along the way. We did not take MODOK. We did not take certain tactics cards. We made our list do the thing, which I think is most important, which is we made a list that fits within itself, that achieves a goal, and that's fun to play. And if you're doing all those things right, it doesn't matter necessarily which models you're playing. If you're achieving your goal and having fun, that's the way to play MCP on a more competitive level and have a blast while doing it. Well, unfortunately for you, my goal is to win and to be very ungracious about it. <laughs> Just win. Just, Just always win, win. I know you've got this like dichotomy of I have to win, but then also I have to enjoy the characters I'm playing. <laughs> and sometimes those go head to head, Chris, you're, you're in trouble. <laughs> I am a walking duality. Also, we've got to add the duality, maybe the further duality of Chris and playing games. You also want to play everything because you love all characters and all models. Yeah, I don't. I haven't <laughs> yet to learn a team very well as I have yet to play the same team twice. <laughs> I'll make sure you play Beast more than once before you move on to someone else because I know you like him and I know you like his play style, which we're going to get to later. I'll just make you stay with him. Like, you know, Chris, play Beast because he's got a certain play style and you got to learn it. You got to learn it and play yeah, it and enjoy it. But new shinies and I have to know how they play. It's true. It's the life of every overzealous and excited skirmish miniature gamer. It's how Atomic Mass stays in business. <laughs> Keeps us in business too, right? I'm not complaining. We hope you guys listen to our X season announcement because Chris and I went to great detail why we were breaking format because we're never going to get caught up to atomic mass. And that's great. We're going to be making content for so long. Like they're always going to be ahead of us. And I think that's a wonderful thing for the community. A wonderful thing for us. I can't complain. It is good for us. It's, you know, hobby security, I suppose. So Chris, before we get into some exciting news, also, I had a crazy last week. I was ill for an entire week. So I apologize if I've been less active on all of our social media and my social media for MCP related things. I was very ill. It was actually pretty scary because I had all the symptoms of COVID-19, all of them, and I got a test and it was negative, which is very good. But the bad news is apparently some people that I was around before I got really ill are all positive for COVID-19. So it's been a very stressful time, been very strange here and we're back, but I'm kind of getting back to my full health again, which is feeling good. I'm feeling better, but it was a strange time altogether. I'm also glad you're back and I'm very thankful that you're feeling better, but I'm also thankful for what we're about to talk about. That's right. There's some crazy announcements, Chris, if you want to start them off. 
Well, we all saw it. We all loved it. But we have to talk about the Deadpool YouTube video announcement. Absolutely. So Atomic Mass dropped essentially part two of their awesome X-Men announcement that we all got to enjoy together live at the announcement of Gen Con. And then they dropped this Deadpool trailer, which is part two. And so much that it's part two, it said previously on. And we had, you know, the X-Men video kind of in a dreamlike format. And then we got immediately into this X-Force battle. And I say X-Force battle because there are characters present that are X-Force, but more importantly, Will Schick, studio head of Atomic Mass Games, was doing some great voice work in this episode. And he's playing Cable and many other characters and talking about, all right, X-Force, let's fight this brotherhood. I am so ridiculously excited for X-Force. Of course. Yes. And I'm excited to hear more about X-Force on our show, Chris. Well, as you know... Rick Remender's Uncanny X-Force is one of my holy grail comic book runs. Oh, absolutely. I am very excited. I'm hoping we have our own Uncanny X-Force team in the future. I think it's probably way down the line. But until then, I will be painting as many models in their Remender Uncanny X-Force costumes as possible. I know you will. You love those Sith colors. That's what I call them. It's true. It's true. It's and grays. Yeah. I do love the design choices made behind the Sith. But moreover, I get cable, man. That's right. I get cable too, yeah. And it's what exciting. a model. Oh my gosh. It's so cool for us here, Chris, to see this come full circle because if you're a listener of the show and you got to hear the cable announcement on our episode where I got to interview Will Schick and Will Pagani about the restricted and banned list and they just dropped that little nugget in the middle, unexpected to me. Yeah, another reason why we banned drop off is because cable was just way too powerful with it. Oh yeah, cable. <laughs> <laughs> and now we and now we see his model. It's better than I could have ever imagined. Oh, it's great, man. It's immediately shot to the top of my list alongside Angela of some of my favorite visual models in the game. What's not to love? That gun he's carrying gives me uh, Warhammer 40k Bolter vibes. I was going to say that's a deep cut. That's not a deep cut at all for anybody that probably listens to this show, but still a deep cut outside of Marvel. I agree. I love that his cape is in motion, but most importantly, Chris, I love that he's creating the shield in front of him Mm -hmm. blocking bullets that is a touch that only atomic mass could pull off we've seen this time and time again other gaming companies in the past have made models in the marvel and dc universe that are nowhere near these type of models in the dynamic elements that are happening and that's a great example right there of like his tattered cape in motion and then his arm is up the shield is up and he's physically blocking bullets with the model and we see the shield blocking bullets and he's looking real jacked, baby. He's looking like the classic cable we all know. And oh, love. yeah, man. He looks like he's straight off the pages. Right. And that's what's so cool is they always do this, Chris, where it's like straight off the page, but then like a fully realized physical version that seems real. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? Like Wolverine's a prime example of this. If you compare Wolverine in this game, Marvel Christ Protocol, his sculpt next to Wolverine in the era he's representing, which is the late 80s, early 90s era, obviously the Marvel Christ Protocol one is more detailed, but it still has the exact same costume nailed. So it's kind of this interesting balance of realism mixed with the fantasy of the true costume. You know, we can't thank Dallas and the design team enough for making these decisions and doing it so well. And Cable is a perfect example. Chris, he might be just one of my new mains in the game because I love how he looks so much. And I can't wait to see 
if he's like this heavy hitter mixed with a support, you know, that speaks to me as a player, you know, I love supports and I love, I love mid range type decisions where you can like go full, you know, fighting aggressive, but you can pull it all the way back and go support. If cable is like that, I'll be very happy. And we could talk about cable all day, but we won't because there's much more to talk about. So Chris, moving on from cable in cables box, you also get domino and domino looks pretty neat as well. Oh, I love domino, man. She's in a crazy pose, and I'm sure she's going to be crazy on the tabletop. Her mutant ability of basically having good luck all the time. She has uncanny luck. I am so excited to see how Atomic Mass brings that into her kit. I would assume it's going to be affecting dice after rolls somehow, maybe spending power to do so. But That'd be neat, too, if she's always a consistent dice roller, whether it's on attack or defense, we're unsure, but like if she's consistent, that's really neat and a really interesting part of the game, right? Yes. Especially as a consistent damage dealer, I assume she's going to have some kind of range seeing as how she uses firearms. So some kind of consistent, you know, maybe range three damage dealer could be really good. I'm a fan. We will see more of her. The last notable thing to mention about her, of course, Chris, is her sculpt. She is flying through the air on some sort of debris rebel, and she's like flying sideways. I think it's showcasing her luck, which they did quite well in the Deadpool 2 movie where she's like dodging debris and she's flying through the air. This makes perfect sense for her character. I'm excited about it. Oh, yeah. So, Chris, we got to move on to another box that's coming out with this wave and something I'm very excited about, especially the first part of this box. That's Scarlet Witch. What a cool box. Scarlet Witch and her brother Quicksilver. Oh, man. Very, very fun. I'm excited that they've been included in the X-Wave because I was raised as Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. They're mutants. I was, too. My brain's been reformatted, though, with the MCU. But nah. (laughs) <laughs> you're like nah we got a we got some brotherhood members here that's great i'm a big fan scarlet witch she's flying around on magic similar to enchantress but there's much more going on which is great she's in her classic costume which of course we love here and quicksilver same way classic costume he's in love motion. his classic costume he's moving like what more could we be said chris and of course there's too much speculation on Scarlet Witch we could do, so we're going to temper our excitement. That's a smart move. She could do so many things. Like She could be a low threat. She could be a high threat. She could be all control. She could be some damage and control. I just know she's probably going to be a mainstay for me, as you probably know, Chris. Yeah. It's just going to happen. But let's talk about Quicksilver. What if he's now just the new greatest objective runner in the game? I don't know, man. We've got Toad. We do have Toad. I will give you credit there while it's due. And of course, we're going to come on our Toad episode in the future and cover that extensively. But Chris, I think something that's like potentially breaking a rule with Quicksilver could be like he moves more than most characters in the game. He gets extra activations of moves or something like that. It's going to be scary, his his movement, I assume. It's going to be really fun. It's going to be a very new wrinkle to the game. It's going to cause your opponent to play different. It's going to cause you to play different. You love seeing that with new waves of characters and new waves of types of characters that the entire game has changed. We don't want to be playing the same game we were playing when we first got the starter box, you know, Avengers versus Cabal. Atomic Mass has delivered. Oh, yes. 
the mechanics in this game only get better. The combinations only get more fun, but it still stays relatively intuitive. I'm very impressed. Well, and the brilliance of MCP, probably the hardest thing for them to design going forward and why it's so amazing is you buy Quicksilver, you can play him on any team. Mm -hmm. And the way he plays on different teams is always going to be different. This is the same way with every character in the game. But what did the Avengers look like with Quicksilver versus the Brotherhood with Quicksilver? That's obviously a lore excitement that Chris and I have that we want to see in the game. This is the type of stuff that no other game has. When you choose a faction in another war game or skirmish game, you choose them and you're stuck with them and the models they get and the way they play. And this game is like, we have factions, but then at the same time, every character can be brought into every faction and become a slightly altered version of that character. And it's truly the best part of this game because you tell the story you want, you play the characters you want, you have the fun you want. And I think that's perfect for characters like Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, like you mentioned, Chris. They came to us as mutants, but then in Marvel, they branched out in different directions. They absolutely did, and they absolutely will when it comes to MCP. We get to close out this brotherhood discussion with quite possibly, well, not quite possibly, he just is, the most (laughs) glam metal villain that has ever been conceived. One of my favorites. One of the driving forces behind Marvel mutant villainy, Mr. Sinister. Absolutely, Chris. And Atomic Mass nailed his look, I may say. The cape is out of control. Oh, it's as great. It should be. And I cannot even think about the level of support, control, who knows what else Sinister's going to have in this game. I have absolutely no idea what way they're going to take his kit. I usually have some sort of idea what, what the powers are going to look like, what the attacks are going to look like, just based on my Marvel knowledge. I'm, I'm rarely very surprised when it comes to that kind of thing. I have no idea where they're going with him. I don't either, and I'm super excited because I'm pretty enamored with Brotherhood right now, and you're bringing this such an iconic and interesting character potentially to this affiliation and maybe has other elements he brings to the game that we're not even aware of and he's just so iconic on the table chris like he is a major villain and of course all of x-men lore and that's important that's really important i'm really shocked and happy that we're getting this announcement this early for him and that atomic mass has been so generous to us showing these are the next x-men and brotherhood you're getting i'm absolutely blown away that we're getting him so early i really felt like he was going to be a boilerplate villain i'm thrilled i love sinister absolutely and just like these stories we like to tell in our minds chris and obviously things that have played on the comics like bring sinister into cabal bring sinister into something crazy like avengers these are things you can do in this game like i mentioned earlier with the Quicksilver example. And if he's going to be anything like he potentially might be, his implications and other factions might be pretty wild in this game. I have a feeling he's going to be very interesting. I think it's going to be very different. I hope I'm right, but you know, I, I don't know anything, so we'll see. Well, and Atomic Mass showed us that with Thanos, right? Like it was so interesting to see such a major villain in Marvel. And then him truly just be this imposing support character. That's such an interesting decision they made that he's this tanky support character and that he has all this control. And I just love that design space. It's so interesting. It's so different. And it's obviously even harder to learn as a player and master. But I like that too. 
I definitely think he's going to be a very high-ceiling, skill-intensive type of character. But, you know, like I said, this is all just rampant speculation, That which is what's exciting about Mr. Sinister to me, is, you, you know, this is all just speculation. We have no idea. I'm just on the edge of my seat, and I, I keep talking about it, but I can't get over it. Well, and that's the great part about this game, Chris. They've given us so much, so much exciting elements of this game. And, of course, we're on the edge of our seat because, honestly, this whole wave everything has me on the edge of my seat. We talked about earlier in this discussion, Cable, what's his balance of support with damage? Like what Scarlet Witch's balance of mage damage and full control? I'm so intrigued to see the route they go. And then of course we end with Mr. Sinister. We have no idea. So I'm so excited to see the route they go. And these are interesting characters that are obviously hybrid characters in the comics. They fulfill multiple roles. So I'm really interested to see the design space going forward, what they choose to do. And of course, we've got to close out this discussion with the final box. The final box, Chris, is Deadpool, Hydra Bob, and a taco truck. That's a curveball, the taco truck. Very cool that they included the taco truck. I think Hydra Bob is about the last character I ever expected to see. Awesome curveball there. That's right. And throwing it in with the Deadpool box makes sense to me. Because you didn't want another character to have to share that spotlight with Deadpool, but maybe you wanted to get another character into the game there, fit the plans, and Hydra Bob just, he fits that perfectly. Because he is going to be just a one, two-point character, kind of a throw-in type, fit-him-anywhere type of character, and he doesn't need fanfare. He probably doesn't even need his own episode of Fury's Finest. (laughs) But what if he does? What if he does? How well, exciting could we'll that be? We'll see if he gets one, but... It's interesting, Chris, because I like this decision, like you said. There's really no one to maybe match on Deadpool's level of excitement, just like in his standalone nature. So it's interesting that we got a taco truck and that we got Hydra Bob. And I liked it because Hydra Bob is a sidekick of sort of Deadpool in certain storylines. So... It makes perfect sense now we see it on paper, right? It is one of those things like unexpected and also very exciting. And of course, more terrain with the taco truck is wonderful because a lot of people are using most of the terrain that Atomic Mass has provided and maybe not have made their own terrain like some players like I have done myself and things like that. More terrain's great. What a great terrain piece, like a Deadpool-themed taco truck. Well, it's very cool. Well, let's talk about Deadpool sculpt real quick, Chris. So... This has been an interesting moment of excitement and contention in the community. And I think this is a good example of MCP being this sort of middle ground between diehard comic book fans, skirmish and war gamers, and new Marvel fans. And maybe I'm wrong on this and just a discussion we can have going forward, but Deadpool is somewhat of a ballerina type pose on a missile and he's got his swords out. It's pretty wild. And then you can add the sploosh sound on the base or on the missile if you want physical text that's popping off the model that's never been done in mcp before for obvious reasons probably should never be done again (laughs) should be reserved only for deadpool and it makes perfect sense okay whether you like this sculpt or not the sculpt is very good it's a super well executed model it is deadpool it looks like deadpool in every way you know it's something you've seen him do a million times it's his silliness encapsulated too it does but it also does a good job of capturing his early look that's true with the belt and the the sword scabbards on his back the gun on his hip it's very evocative of 90s deadpool the very a more serious deadpool but of course he's riding 
an actual missile, and you have various head choices yes. that get increasingly goofy. I'm not going to lie. I am not a fan. I'm not a big fan of Deadpool. I'm not against this model. His humor and fourth wall breaking is what helped cement him into popular culture. So I think you've got to go with that. You have to play with that. There's just right. It's not going to be the Deadpool that 85% of Deadpool lovers know and love. That's a good point. I mean, I, he has... Four head sculpts, Chris, which is absolutely insane. Like, forget, do you love the model? Do you love the character? Like, you're getting options here. Maybe even different leg poses, too. But he's got, you know, standard eyes, winking eyes. He's got heart eyes. You can really lean into the silliness and the sort of fun of Deadpool. Once again, he's not a favorite character of mine either. But I respect what he brought to comics and pop culture and the differences and the excitement he brought to comics in a different way. Like you said, these fourth wall breaking more comedy centric things. And of course he's super powerful as well. So you pair all these together and you've got a really interesting character for the game because they get to do cool things that we might not be ready for. He might do right. something in the game that is fourth wall breaking. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Well, cause in the video when Schick's doing Deadpool's voice, not only is Deadpool breaking the fourth wall, talking directly to the audience about Wolverine standing on a, a tactical rock bub, or he's also talking about it's my activation in MCP. He's directly breaking the fourth wall, talking to us as players of MCP. And I love it. I mean, the video is so well executed, so highly produced. They didn't have to go this all out, but they did, Chris. They did. And it's what I've come to expect from them. They've just gone above and beyond from the inception of this game, and I've been nothing but impressed. Me too, and we're going to have a lot more Deadpool discussions going on in the future, but those are just our initial thoughts. There's so many thoughts we have, and we're trying to like hold them all back because we have a lot of content to get to today. We're obviously excited about Deadpool. Healing Factor is an obvious thing going forward that we're going to talk about with Wolverine and Sabretooth, probably with Deadpool. Time will tell. Oh, absolutely with Deadpool. There's no way around it. He's going to be on the table, Chris. He's going to be a threat on the table. And whether you like the model or not, the model has been made and you can make changes in the future. What's exciting about this is if you don't like him standing on the missile, like Chris mentioned, the great thing Atomic Mass has given us in this game is like you can repose your models and put them on just the base and things like that. So you can get rid of the missile, just put them on the base, swords out. You could go full menacing, like, you know, serious eyes, all that. You can go that route, but you can also go the full silly route with Deadpool too. And I actually love that people have options, Chris. I think that's kind of great. It is great. You know, I think sitting back and being a little too upset about the pose on a sculpt is not how I want to spend most of my day. So I think I'm probably just going to take him <laughs> off off the missile and put him on the base. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's just what I'm going to do. And that's OK. I might lean into the silliness because he's not a character that speaks to me on a deep level like some of these other characters do. So I might as well lean in fully to what he is. And that's kind of maybe the way I'm going. But I'm not sure either, Chris. I mean, he might just be on the base. Time will tell. He will be painted in Uncanny X-Force colors. So I'm probably going to go for kind of Uncanny X-Force, more serious vibe. Yeah, And, you know, Deadpool sure. has been serious in the past. He was introduced as a serious character. He wasn't the Merc with the mouth at first. And even then, his mouth was not necessarily fourth wall breaking. It was just kind of a meaner Spider-Man. I cannot wait for his episode of the show. To well, it's going to be weird. We're going to have to talk about Agent X. That's true. We're going to have to talk about IP rights, all that stuff. Well, closing out our exciting news today, Chris, we got some news that I was not ready for. They did a painting stream of She-Hulk, and then they released a panel to play of She-Hulk. Long story short, she's another six threat, 20 health Hulk. And the real curveball 
is that she is the leader of a new affiliation, the Defenders of Arcadia, A-Force. What? I was not ready for this. I'm so happy for that. She's also a defender. So we've got this like great balance of like Jennifer showing up in different places. I cannot wait for her episode. We've talked about it. Chris and I have already talked about our excitement for her episode going forward. It's going to be some pretty intense themes, but I'm excited to learn more about her. I'm excited to play her in MCP. She sounds great. She's got some heavy hitting attacks. She also has got a sort of bodyguard where she takes attacks on herself that her allies don't take. So it makes her really be this tank we want her to be. She's also got an awesome power where she pays three power. It allows her to add the target size to the number of dice she rolls on her next attack. So that means that she can hit characters like Modok, Black Dwarf, and her cousin Hulk for 11 dice with her regular attack. Just for three power. It feels like percent based damage in MOBAs. It feels like direct damage. It feels like this is a hard counter to some of these major powerhouses. This is a hard counter to Modok. Modok, This is great. I'm excited. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She's a threat. And we've seen in their streams, Chris, her model is huge. Oh, I believe it. If you look at her picture, it doesn't seem as she's as big as she is, but she's bigger than Ultron. So if you're kind of familiar with the size of Ultron in the game, she's about his size or bigger. Kind of orient yourself to how big she is in the game. And she's in her classic costume. Oh, she has the sneakers. All of it's so good. I, I cannot wait to bring her to the game, Chris. And once again, I talk mass through their model design and through their art. They have made me want to play a character so bad that I've only had some excitement for in the past. And that's no slight on She-Hulk. It's more just the stories I've read have not involved her. I've always thought she's such a cool character and her backstory is really neat. But now her coming to the game, you and I are going to do our research, our writing, our production, all about She-Hulk in preparation of our episode. And I'm more excited about She-Hulk than I ever have been in my entire life. And I can only thank Atomic Mass for that. You know, before Atomic Mass even announced She-Hulk, the Peter David run of She-Hulk was on my short list of of reads that I was going to do, you know, in the upcoming months. And of course, I've pushed it back to go ahead and try to coincide it with this episode. But yeah, it's very exciting. I can't wait to see more about her. And as we get more information on her, we will talk about it on the show. And last bit of news this week, and this is a pretty heavy news week, so we had to get all out there. And this is something that Chris and I totally missed when we recorded our storm episode. And that's my bad because we didn't have it in the notes. And we had a lot of content to cover with storm and we wanted to keep it concise. Well, there's a big announcement, Chris. We joined and helped launch the across the Bifrost.com network. So what is the across the Bifrost.com network? That is a nexus of content creators for MCP. And if you go to across the Bifrost.com, you'll see on their front page podcasts, videos, and blog articles. And as content creators post new and concurrent content, they will fill up these columns of information. What's great about this is you can go to across the Bifrost.com and always be in the know about what's happening in the content creation world of MCP. And Chris and I are very humbled and excited to join the first wave of content creators, like to launch the site. TT and Pat Dunford of Across the Bifrost, the podcast, started this website and they mentioned that the Bifrost has always been a glue that ties nations and different galaxies and planets in the Marvel Universe together. And they want this website to be 
the very same for the MCP content creators of the world that are putting a lot of time, effort, and hours into creating this content for you, the listener and the community of the game. We're really excited to be part of this, Chris. If you go to podcasts, like you'll see all of our podcasts are in there. Every time you and I post a new episode, of course, it's going to go up on our feed and our social media, but it's going to also go up on the Across the Bifrost Network. Also, Chris, I think an ingenious thing that TT and Pat have done, they have created a unique Across the Bifrost RSS feed for podcasts. So if you subscribe to the podcast feed on their website, acrossbifrost.com, you essentially get a podcast feed that has all these podcasts that are part of the network. And when episodes come out in order, they come out. So for instance, when our storm episode came out, the following content creators that posted episodes after our storm episode came out on that RSS feed after our storm episode, this beast episode will come out on that RSS feed, et cetera, et cetera, if that makes sense. With that RSS feed, you're going to get shows across the Bifrost, Ominous Protocol, Recalibration Matrix, Roster Doctor, and The Danger Room, all good shows. So what's the problem, y'all? You're going to get a lot of interesting and different content for MCP, and that's what we're all about here on Furious Finest. And, you know, I just had Charles on our last episode, so it's it's just a beautiful coalescing of everyone working together and making this community the best it can be. And it's pretty obvious, Chris, this community is a great community because every week, I feel like there's new content creators, whether they're a podcast, video, blog, photographer, painter, the list goes on. And on top of that, every week the community grows and gets larger. The Facebook group grows and gets larger. So this is just an effort by the Across the Bifrost Nexus to tie everyone together. And of course, as time goes on and they get the website better and better, they're going to add more content creators, more videos, more blogs, more podcasts to the network. But we're just really thrilled we got to be on the first wave to launch the site. We're very honored to be there and thank you. Yeah, Chris, and I would be remiss to not announce some of the great blogs we've talked about. And then of course, video content, people that I really enjoy, like Nate from the Gamers Guild. I've been on his show many times and his content's on here. Adam from Blackfire, who does incredible battle report productions. The list goes on and on and on. So we're just so happy to be part of this wonderful network and you should add it to maybe your favorites and then check out their RSS feed as well. We really appreciate you guys are subscribed to us, but I think it's worthwhile to subscribe to their RSS feed to maybe check out some shows that you might not have heard before. So Chris, that was a lot of catching up, which I think is very important. We had some amazing news this week, some amazing stuff for Furious Finest, amazing stuff for MCP, but we've got to move into our discussion today, which is we will be discussing Hank McCoy Beast. Fury's Finest is sponsored by Discount Games Inc. Go to discountgamesinc.com for all your Marvel, Crisis Protocol, and miniature gaming needs. Our patrons support Fury's Finest at patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. If you enjoy our show, consider supporting us with a monthly contribution. We thank all of our patrons for the support. Once again, the patrons are making X season happen. So if you like this extra content, these super robust deep dives on X-Men and what's more to come. If you can help support the show, it really means a lot to us. And this week we have a very special shout out to Ryan W. This is your week in the spotlight, Ryan. What a great character to get, Ryan. Beast. Pretty good, man. I hope you too are a Renaissance man like good Hank McCoy, Ryan. 
Absolutely. And of course, we've got to thank our two Avengers producers now. That's right. We have two, which is absolutely amazing. If you want to become an Avengers producer, check it out on the tier. But we have Matthew R. Thank you. And we have Brett C., our new Avenger producer as of last week. Thank you to both of you. Thanks, guys. All right, Chris, let's get into Beast lore. Let's do it. So, Chris, who is Beast? Well, Jesse, I'm glad you asked. Henry Philip Hank McCoy was born in Dundee, Illinois, to Norton and Edna McCoy. His father, Norton, was employed at a local nuclear power plant before Henry's birth and was once exposed to intense nuclear radiation, which appears to have caused his son's mutation. Hank is born with a vast intellect, unusually long arms and legs, and unusually large hands and feet, and a rare, although not unique, case of mutant powers manifesting before puberty. His bodily proportions are comparable to those of a gorilla, and later stories reveal his nickname in school was Magilla Gorilla. And I think it's important to note that he was kind of made fun of in high school because something I've always seen Beast Mm. as is an outsider among outsiders. Very interesting. If you know what I mean. You know, he can go with Wolverine on this primal rage thing. He can lose himself in battle. He can be embarrassed about it. But then he's going to go. He's such a renaissance man. He's going to go read poetry. He's going to go be a biochemist all while having blue fur and sometimes looking like an ape and sometimes looking like a cat and not knowing if he's, you know, losing his mind or not. You know, all of this stuff plays in, and I I really think that him being bullied early on in conjunction with having power manifestation that changes his physical appearance really shaped his character into who he is. Absolutely, Chris, and I'm glad you mentioned his power manifestation early because it is very different. A lot of interesting parts of the X-Men and the mutants going forward is... Their powers usually manifest in adolescence or puberty or through trauma in some sort of way. Beast was very different. His was manifested right from the start. When he was a baby, he had these longer limbs and these larger hands and feet and these feet that he could use prehensilely as sort of hands. So he's a little bit different. And I'm glad you mentioned that. And of course, he is a mutant human, but he does have similar appearance sometimes as a gorilla. So of course, by nature, that makes him very different different from a lot of people, something we're going to see come up in the future with Nightcrawler. Appearance is a lot of things, even with other mutants, you know, when when you're a mutant, but you're human, but then you've got something crazy going on with your powers, at least you still look human. Beast did not have that luxury early on, though early on, he did look like a human. He did look human for a lot of the younger years. Except those limbs. Right. Except for his limbs. He looked like an oddly proportioned human. To frame this, I want to mention that his first appearance in comics was in X-Men number one, September 1963, and he was, of course, created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. I'm sure we all knew that. But sure. it was about 10 years later, and I think it was 72 or 73, is when he developed the fur. And at first it was gray. Mm-hmm. And then he's reintroduced in this second wave of X-Men that, that introduced such wonderful characters like Wolverine and like Storm we talked about last week. Oh, yeah. Nightcrawler. Oh, I love Nightcrawler. Love it. But of course, Henry is, but he's got this vast intellect, but he's also got that primal rage. He loses himself at battle sometimes. You couple that with his bestial simian looks and his, you know, quite frankly, swinging around from in trees and things. He, 
he moves a lot like an animal. He's always kind of overcompensated or juxtaposed that with his intellect and his extreme level of culture. He is the classic definition of a Renaissance man. And it's why I'm so drawn to him, Chris. The older I get, the more and more I grow and age and become a beast man. It's something you and I were talking about really early on in the show, early on off mic. And it was a change I was noticing was that was happening in me. And I thought it was very interesting. And you were like, well, it's a sign of getting older. It's it's a good sign. It's a good sign is what you said. <laughs> And I was telling that story to my wife the other day and man, she just slammed me with a great quote out of nowhere. Cause I was talking about, you know, when you're younger, you have an affinity for some of the more bombastic X-Men, maybe like a gambit. And then when you're older, if you continue to evolve through culture and life experiences and other things, you have an affinity towards someone like beast. And I was just mentioning that to my wife. It's really interesting. And then of course she slammed me out of nowhere with the quote of, if you're a young person and you don't love Gambit, you have no heart. But if you're an older person and, and you don't love Beast, you have no brain. And, you know, that's the classic twist <laughs> on the quote by the French, you know, author Jules Clarete or whatever. And just it's perfect because I think it's going to frame our discussion day on Beast because I think Beast is a wonderful character that only gets better with age, not only for the reader, but for the character. He's a very interesting, interesting character. But before we talk about his history, let's go over his superpowers really quickly. Beast does possess superhuman strength, speed, reflexes, agility, flexibility, dexterity, coordination, balance, and endurance. Beast is equally dexterous with all four limbs, like Jesse mentioned earlier, kind of prehensile feet. Mm -hmm. He can perform tasks with his feet or hands. Because of this talent and training, Beast can perform any Olympic level athlete contorting his body, performing aerial feats very gracefully. His strength and dexterity allow him to climb vertical surface with just his hands and or feet and jump great distances. He also possesses enhanced senses and can track people for great distances over open terrain. And his feet are sensitive enough to detect electronic signals from bombs, listening devices, things of that nature, through solid walls and floor. He also possesses a genius level intellect and at times a healing factor. And his strength has run the gamut of varying degrees of superhuman, sometimes stronger, sometimes weaker, depending on his power set at that time. Beast has changed powers a lot. Well, something you mentioned earlier, Chris, which I would consider a superpower as well. He is, of course, a Renaissance man, a man of culture, literary works, writings, music, etc. And he has a great and verbose vocabulary. Oh, absolutely. And I can only imagine kind of the challenge of writing a character like Hank McCoy, especially if you're if you're someone like me, I don't I don't use very big words. My vocabulary is not very big, but I do believe that I can write a little bit. I couldn't imagine trying to trying to write a character that was that much smarter than me. It's tough. And you do a podcast weekly, which is a endeavor alone and just speaking correctly, pronouncing words, being concise. You know, I'm going to give you more credit than you're giving yourself, Chris. Well, I appreciate that. It's a very interesting thing with Beast because I think another reason why I continue to love him more with age, because, you know, I want to be him in a lot of ways. If, If I only had more time for literary works, vocab, music, the arts, culture, things that I truly love and pride. And Beast makes these things a intentional 
effort in his life. Despite all the other crazy things he's doing, he's creating formulas, he's fighting villains, but then in his free time, he always maximizes his effort and intent with his free time. He's reading great works. He's reading scientific books. But then, of course, you know, like you said, he's a man of culture, so he's also learning about culture and the arts constantly, and I love that about him. He's teaching at the school. He's serving as as the the medical professional for, even though he's not a licensed medical doctor, right? he is serving as the doctor for the team, especially in the field. Very important. Very important. He's the world's leading microbiologist, I do believe. Yes. He's the man that cured the legacy virus. You know That's what I mean? That's pretty wild. He is very smart, and I often think that he's not really given the credit he's due for being a Reed Richards-level genius. He might not be smarter than Reed, but he is in that category. He's in that category with with Reed and T'Challa and Doom. You know, we're talking about the great minds of the Earth. Well, and I think that's something about Beast that might be different from some of those other players. Of course, his intellect comes to him naturally, but his effort, his work ethic, Chris, all that is constant. It's not like he's just a Sherlock Holmes or Reed Richards where he immediately knows the answer. He Beast is always working on bettering himself and others and his knowledge. And I think that's something really interesting about him. And that's why the classic pose, which we see in MCP with the book, it's a common and classic pose because every time Beast is not on the job, he's always on the job. He's always reading. He's always improving himself. He's always becoming a better man in some form. And I, I just love that. I do too. It's very aspirational, really. It is. So let's talk about his history, Chris, because I know he's got a really robust history. We'll be frank right up front. This is a very difficult lore to do because our quick discussion here at front, Chris, is that Beast is everywhere, right? From mutants all the way to the Avengers. Absolutely. He he was a staple of the Avengers. He is a recurring member of the Avengers. He even sided with the Avengers in Avengers versus X-Men. Pretty crazy. He's a classic Avenger at this point in the history, but he's also a classic X-Man. And because of that, he's got a lot of history. And of course, when he's introduced in 1963, of course, he, he is mostly human looking. He does not have the fur but Henry's mutation more fully manifests during adolescence, right? providing greater strength and agility and allowing him to excel in athletics. He soon, though, attracts the animosity of his fellow students and other non-mutant humans. Once again, an outsider among outsiders sometimes. So he seeks refuge and he's approached by Professor X, who invites him to study at Xavier's School for Gifted youngsters. It's crazy, Chris. He got a lot of that animosity and opposition from other students because he was so talented at the sports he was doing at his school because of his appendages we know having multi-use. Well, the ambidextrous and, and, and the body control, the agility. Yeah. If he's got improved strength at 15, 16, you know, he's going to dominate out on the sports field. He did. Shortly after his 20th birthday, Hank leaves the team, and he does some really interesting biochemistry work. He isolates a hormonal extract, allowing anyone to become a mutant for a short period of time. And he uses this mutagenic serum on himself to disguise his own appearance while foiling an attempt to steal his research. Unfortunately for him, and something he 
regrets many times going forward, he waits too long to reverse this process, leaving him permanently transformed. And of course, this transformation is Beast growing hair, although it was gray at first. Right. The hair is eventually depicted as and stays blue. This is also where he picks up a healing factor and the feral side I've mentioned a few times that he sometimes struggles to control. Because of this serum and this transformation, he had a brief bout with amnesia and he briefly joins the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants Mm. when his mind is wiped, but he quickly recovers and not long after the transformation... Beast is recruited to join the Avengers as a provisional member and is later granted full Avengers membership and remains a member for many, many years, notably becoming great friends with Wonder Man. Of course, he leaves the team to periodically rejoin the X-Men, but returns to the Avengers every time. So the Avengers are kind of his home team at this moment. And though he does eventually leave... Because at that period of time, the Avengers had a cap of six members only. So Beast went ahead and left the team so they could go ahead and cycle new members in. He's also kind of the Avengers staple scientist. And I, and I mean that in a good way. Like when they encounter like these sort of viruses and stuff like Chris mentioned earlier, Beast's the man for the job. He is definitely, if not the man for the job, one of them for the job and probably taking point. Yes. After leaving the Avengers, he briefly joins the Defenders and stays on with the Defenders to help organize the new Defenders as most of the original Defenders lineup got wiped out and he was one of the last surviving members. Beast and fellow surviving Defenders Angel and Iceman are contacted shortly thereafter by Cyclops and Jean Grey to form the new group X-Factor. Oh, boy. Now, X-Factor, at this point in time, this is, of course, that wonderful, wonderful Louis Simonson X-Factor. X-Factor is Cyclops, Jean Grey, Iceman, Angel, and Beast without Professor X. They've left the arms of Professor X, and they pose as mutant hunters to get leads on mutants when which they go and then save those mutants. Of course, his tenure with X-Factor lasts for a while, and they do a lot of great things. It's a wonderful run. I'd really recommend anyone read it. Yeah. You're going to get a lot of uh, really cool and classic moments in X-Factor. Of course, Hank is going to rejoin the X-Men during the events of Inferno. Beast, along with the rest of the X-Factor team, team up with the X-Men and various other heroes to fight the evil forces invading New York City. Eventually, they manage to stop a portal between Limbo and Earth from remaining open, and peace returns for the survivors. Of course, peace always returns for a time. It does. Of course, then this is where we're going to move on to Beast curing the legacy virus. I remember when this was happening. It was a very crazy kind of time because no one really knew what you know mutants marvel was going to take out as they were going to shake up the x-men and eventually it led to the cure for the legacy virus demanding a sacrifice to be released it was going to take someone getting infected and and needing their antibodies and they were probably going to die yeah and it was colossus that took this on so classic beast of course was feeling triumphant for finding the cure to the legacy virus but at the same time 
this cure demanded sacrificing one of his old friends. Very tough, and he blamed himself for that for a long time. After this, he briefly leaves the X-Men to join Storm and her extreme X-Men. Of course, that was Claremont's triumphant return to Marvel and writing the X-Book. But after an attack by Vargas that leaves Psylocke dead, Beast is gravely injured and returns back to the Xavier Institute. And of course, this is where he is going to come into contact with one of his teammates named Sage after he's back at the Institute for a little while. And this is going to jumpstart Beast's secondary mutation. Secondary mutations were happening a lot at the time. The X-Universe was experiencing a baby boom of sorts, and the adult mutants were kind of experiencing these secondary mutations. And with Beast, this transforms him into that feline-looking beast that we see during the Grant Morrison run of New X-Men. Less gorilla. More lion, yeah. And his his kind of behaviors, not behaviors, his, his kind of fighting style kind of changed to adapt with that as well, which was interesting. And it also during this time, it's notable that he became very good friends with Emma Frost, which is kind of unexpected as Emma's, you know, mm-hmm. I keep speaking about outsiders in this episode. And of course, <laughs> the X-Men are, they are outsiders by nature. That's what the book's about. But, you know, Beast and Emma, two outsiders you'd never really see getting along, be, you know, maybe form a friendship over that that bond well and emma's a little bit more morally gray and beast of course is a little bit more morally good so it's pretty interesting to see them form a relationship in the in-between beast is going to get into a lot of different things in a lot of different arenas but the next thing we are going to touch on is civil war beast ends up siding with with iron man and the mutant registration side though he didn't necessarily agree with it he sided with them though he did help Spider-Man by creating a holographic disguise for Peter to allow Peter to teach and go out uninterrupted. During Civil War, of course, Peter's secret identity had been leaked. And if you want to hear more about that, you can go back to our Spider-Man episode. And it's notable after, after the Civil War event is over, Hank stays with this initiative program with the Iron Man side to kind of train this next batch of superheroes. This is when they moved into that 50-state initiative. So Beast was kind of in helping with the logistics of that and helping with the training of these new heroes. So an interesting through line that I want to touch on now that we've talked about him kind of being a, a mentor and a teacher for a lot of other Avengers, he's also that for the X-Men. He's a professor at the school. He's teaching classes. He's involved He's older, he's wise, very smart, but he's not the leader. He's not making the big calls, but in times of crisis, he's always there. Mm -hmm. He's a steady influence. He's always there to help pick up the pieces, help logistically, help retrain, help teach. And he's there to make tough calls in the moment. Kind of, I I would almost say kind of a combat leader, but not necessarily the leader or team leader. But he's been around long enough that if Beast says, hey, we're going to do it this way. Most people are going to listen. He's the best type of leader. Like he never wants to lead, but in times of crisis or when he's called on, he does lead. And those are truly the best leaders. And Scott calls on him many times in times of crisis. 
Xavier goes missing. Scott sends Beast to the mansion to figure this out. Scott sends Beast to protect students, get them out to a safe place, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. You know, Beast having sort of no extreme ego, you know, he's arguably one of the better secondary leaders of the X-Men because of this. Absolutely. He's he very much reminds me of of like a Spock. Yes. Not necessarily in charge, but you know, if he's got a strong feeling one way or the other, he kinda is in charge. Right. I've always appreciated that about Hank. He's always taken that that mentorship and that role seriously, at least always during my comic book reading phase. Of course, he's been around since the 60s, so we've seen several different versions of Beast. But the Beast, to me, is that very smart book reading, very emotionally in tune, very empathetic, you know, kind soul. That's always been Beast to me. Absolutely. So Chris, jumping forward a bit, because, you know, we've mentioned this many times, we've alluded to it, but the schism with the Avengers versus X-Men storyline, Beast plays a part in that, right? He does play a part in that. And during this, he's going to find himself allied with with Wolverine. This is going to be, you know, X-Men and the Wolverine era by Jason Aaron, one of my favorite Wolverine stories of all time. But it's going to be during that era, and he's going to side with the Avengers against the Phoenix Force. He is then going to flip sides and be with the Phoenix Five. Of course, this is the five mutants that kind of take the Phoenix Force on as it comes to Earth. But then he will switch back with the Avengers as it becomes increasingly clear that (laughs) Cyclops and Emma have both been corrupted by the Phoenix Force. So this is also going to lead into the Phoenix War, and this is where we're going to get this returned militant Cyclops that really started, you know, with Morrison, I feel like, you know, don't at me, but you're going to start seeing this Cyclops that's more on the side of Magneto. He's no longer really worried about the dream of humanity and mutant kind living together. He is... He is more on a we're fighting for survival and we are fighting. And Beast is very much like Wolverine against that. And because of this, Beast does something kind of crazy. He's going through kind of an aloof period at this point. He's created a time machine. Beast goes back in time to grab the original five X-Men from 1963 at that age. So teenagers, essentially. And brings them to the present. They are young Cyclops, Iceman, young Jean Grey, young Beast. And Angel. And young Angel. They're going to be their own team in the future. Hank did this to kind of show Cyclops what the dream was. What what, what he, the idealism of youth, basically, is what Hank is trying to get across to Scott here. And that is probably the last big major thing Hank has done in the comics. He's been around, but... This time-displaced team of X-Men from the past, their best selves, so to speak, to kind of rub it rub it in Cyclops' face. And, of course, they split off and had their own comic series. X-Men Blue particularly was really fun. So, you know, maybe check that out. And, of course, Chris, Beast's story kind of ends today where it's just all about, once again, another virus, right? The Terrigen virus? Well, the Terrigen mists, of course, and this is going to lead into in Inhumans versus X Men. Right. But Beast is the is the scientist that discovered that the Terrigen mists that are passing over Earth are harmful to mutants. But right. the problem being, these Terrigen mists are integral to 
the Inhumans' transformation process and them receiving their powers, it leads to a conflict between the Inhumans and X-Men. And he is at the he is kind of at the center of that. But yeah, that's where we're going to leave off Hank's history for today. We tried more of a, an informal kind of discussion style because there was so much information. We wanted to get the gist and the points and the themes across yes. more than just dates and events. Well, because there's so much that we had to trim to get to this point, you know. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, you know, let us know. So, Jesse, let's talk about one of your favorite things to talk about on the podcast. Let's talk about Beast in Film. That's right. We have a lot of Beast in the Marvel Cinema Universe, though not in the MCU yet. And I think he will be. So, very exciting. But, Chris, he has been in most of the X-Men movies of the past. So of course, Beast was a staple in the X-Men cartoons of old. We mentioned him last episode, all of the cartoons he is part of. We've talked about it. We're going to keep talking about it. Hopefully we'll do more content in the future about the cartoons. There's some really great elements on this animation of these shows. But today we're just going to talk about Beast in the films. So Beast's first appearance was an X2, X-Men United, more as a cameo. He is that news presence, right, Chris? And this is the only instance we see of the actor, Steve Bakic, playing Beast. And it's just for a short segment. Every Beast onward will be the older Beast, Kelsey Grammer, the younger Beast, Nicholas Holt. Both incredible actors, by the way. But this first actor just played Beast in a short segment. It was a cameo next to X-Men 3, The Last Stand. This is our first instance of Kelsey Grammer. What's really interesting about this, Chris, is like this is considered one of the worst X-Men movies. And I'm really excited for you and I to oh, you revisit mean it. films of all time? That's a little extreme, but eh, it's we'll so see. bad, bro. There's some really bad films out there, so we got to be fair there. But yeah, it's, That's it's, fair. it's bad. I, too, am excited to watch this with you and at the time i remember being really disappointed yeah i was very excited for kelsey Grammer to be beast i was too i was and am just speak for both very fond of yeah. kelsey Grammer. chris and i are both big fans of frazier it's no secret yeah. here and when kelsey Grammer was cast as beast it made too much sense in the 2000s it was awesome it was and great. then i watched the movie and it's just they had no idea what they were doing with beast that movie, they just went crazy. Now, I do like how they approached, I think, more the side of Beast we didn't talk about as much today, but something that obviously made sense with Kelsey playing the character, but Beast the politician, Beast the diplomat for mutants. This is something we see come up a lot. Another reason why I love the character, he is so multifaceted. Something we did see in this movie and we see in the movies going forward, they do approach more, but this was Kelsey's first appearance. Of course, after that, Chris, we have X-Men First Class and X-Men Days of Future Past. We have Nicholas Holt playing the young Beast, which is great in both of these films. Major role. He's a great young actor. I thought he was a great fit for young Hank McCoy and, of course, the scientific intellect side of Hank McCoy. Also, he really approached the early Beast dealing with this sort of mindset of, I can get out of this. I can get out of this situation with my blue fur. I can find a cure. I can fix this. And then by the end of this Nicholas Holt storyline in the movies, he's fully embraced who he is. And I, I truly think it's one of the better parts of Beast when he gets to that point. The journey is interesting. It is one of the best parts of Beast. And one of the things that makes Beast so lovable is that 
everyone experiences self-doubt. Absolutely. You know, one of his whole story arcs, big story arcs, is him accepting himself for who he is. And I, I thought Nicholas Holt was actually the superior casting. Ooh. As fond as I am of, of Kelsey Grammer, I thought Holt was perfect for the role. You know, I usually don't care if actors look like the comic mm. book character they're supposed to look like. Okay. But he captures the mannerisms, the feel, while also kind of looking like you would expect Hank. He's maybe not short and wide. He's so lanky. Yeah, he is. You're right. It captures that. I think it's very good. Well, it's something they really do in these movies, which I'm really excited to look at with you, Chris, on our commentary series. But like Nicholas Holt is a really good juxtaposition to Xavier. And I say that in all the best ways because early on in these movies, he's on Xavier's side 100%. And then moving forward, when Xavier starts shifting his path and becoming some of the issues that Xavier has going forward, Beast in these movies kind of calls him out on it. And they have a true discussion argument about this. And Nicholas Holt's a great actor to deliver this, though Kelsey Grammer might look more like Beast in his Beast form. I will say that. And that's probably... Part of the reason why they cast Kelsey Grammer, they're like, you look good in the makeup and you have an incredible voice when you're in the makeup. And we're going to do that. So, of course, Nicholas Holt reprises Beast in X-Men Apocalypse and X-Men Dark Phoenix. So he gets quite the appearances. Also worth mentioning, we have a cameo of Kelsey Grammer Beast in Days of Future Past. And then we also have Beast mentioned and cameoing in Deadpool 1 and 2. And that's all Beast's appearances. So... He has been all over these X-Men films. I mean, if you count all these up, Chris, he's been in eight films. He's been in most of the films. So that's saying a lot. We love Kelsey Grammer. We love Nicholas Holt. They did a really good job casting this character. And I look forward to seeing Beast return in the future. I, too, am excited to see the Disney Beast. We will see. Disney MCU Beast. We will see. So, Chris, closing out our lore section we need a comic book recommendation on Beast. And I know it's very difficult because he's all over the place. He's basically in every major storyline from the 60s onward. So how do you approach this? Well, I'm just going to give a classic, classic, classic X book. Okay. Just read X Factor. There it is. Because Beast plays a cool role. Start at X Factor 1. You're going to get some very formative X-Men stories. You know, Claremont and Simonson era X-Men stories, very long-form storytelling. Very cool. Sounds great to me. All right, Chris, let's get into strategy. His name is Beast. His alter ego is Henry McCoy. On his healthy side, he has six stamina, a medium move, a height of three, a threat cost of three. His defenses are four physical, two energy, three mystic. And Chris, if you check out his injured side, the only stat that changes is he goes down from six stamina to five stamina. What are your thoughts on Beast? It's an interesting take on the classic three costs, sacrificing an energy dice for a physical dice. I like that. A little bit more stamina, too, on the front end. I'm not mad at it. I'm definitely not mad at it. Well, something they don't put in these stats, Chris, but of course you and I are going to mention probably too many times to the listener. He's a medium mover, but he's a medium-sized base. Mm, I just love it. He's more akin to a long mover then. Right. He's more like a Doc Ock or a Ultron on the table. They are medium movers, but when they move, their base size is medium. So we're getting into that extra movement, extra mobility that's kind of stealth. Right. 
But Chris, you mentioned his two energy defense. I think that's worth mentioning. I love it that he's not three across the board, that he has strengths and weaknesses. We know that energy is a problem for certain characters like Venom and things like that. Beast is in that same camp. So I, I kind of love it. And I also kind of love that like probably some version of this game, they could have made Beast a four if they wanted to, given that really high mystic defense. But I'm much more happy for a three threat Beast because we're going to see him all over the place. I was expecting Beast to be a four cost, but... No, after seeing his his kit and everything, yeah, I think it's cool, and it kind of leaves open the idea of maybe doing a more scientific controller piece type Ooh. beast in the future. Maybe the feline version. Oh man, getting wild here! I'm throwing mud against a wall. Let's talk about his attacks. His strike is going to be. It is physical. It is called acrobatic strike. It is range 3, strength 5, and of course, zero power cost. After this attack is resolved, this character gains power equal to the damage dealt, so that's, once again, very standard. On a wild, you will trigger ambush. After this attack is resolved, place this character within range 1 of the target character. Not you may, but you do. (laughs) It's his animalistic instincts taking over, Chris, as we all know, and you know if you listen to this episode up to this point. I kind of love it. It's wild because it's a range three with a one teleport plus their base size. So mobility wise, it's out of control. But if you don't necessarily want to teleport range one of them, you have no choice if you roll the wild. So it's very beast. It's very mobile, but also you can't control his animalistic instinct if he rolls a wild. Golf clap to atomic mass on this one. The range three is out of control, Chris. I am so obsessed with a character that's a medium base with a medium move with a range three attack. Are you kidding me? Not only is Beast getting to the middle objectives round one because he's a medium mover with a medium sized base, but he also can attack a lot of people with his strike because it's range three. It's great. I have a good feeling about this character so far. I have a really good feeling. I think I'm going to use him a lot. His second attack is a physical attack called animalistic freestyle. It's a range two, six strength, four power cost attack. After this attack is resolved, the target character gains the bleed special condition. So once again, no damage needs to be dealt. They just gain an auto bleed. It has a wild trigger float like a dot dot dot. Before damage is dealt, if the character is size three or less, push the target character away short. Also, not a wild trigger, just a part of this attack. After this attack is resolved, beast may advance medium. Did we talk about mobility earlier? I'm going to talk about mobility again. Wow. It's four power cost, very expensive, but they gain a bleed auto. They probably get pushed, and then you get to advance medium no matter what. With the medium base. It's good. He's all over the place, man. He's he's running around feeling like Beast. Jumping from tree to tree on top of a bad guy, then back into a tree. I'm a fan. But that's it for his attacks, Chris. So let's start with his superpowers now. His first superpower is an active superpower. It is Baser Instincts. It has a power cost of two. Choose an interactive terrain feature or an enemy character, both of size 2 or less and within range 2, and throw that character short. This superpower can be used only once per turn. Wow. So we have a 2-cost size 2 throw. Cheap. Very good. A lot of characters pay more for this, Chris. And also note that Beast can throw size 2 character or terrain 
either or. Some characters in this game can only throw terrain. Some can only throw characters. Some can throw both. But other times, characters just pay more for throws. So a two-cost throw is great. This is like enough reason to consider Beast alone. Throws are huge in this game, as we've mentioned time and time again. And the fact that he can throw terrain or a character, he's very versatile. I'm a big fan. I can't say anything, any of that any better. So he's awesome. It's the cheapest throw in the game on a three cost character. So that's a splash alone. His next superpower is a reactive superpower called Stars and Garters. Its power cost is X. After this character rolls defense or dodge dice, it may spend up to three power to use this superpower. For each power spent, Beast may reroll one of its defense or dodge dice. So you can spend up to three and you can re-roll three dice on a dodge or defense. This is crazy, Chris. This is like a Shuri re-roll, but just for beasts. And it's just neat because it's making his defense more consistent. So it makes that two energy less scary, and it makes that four physical more scary. This beasts him up quite a bit. When you think about it, he will need a lot of power, though. <laughs> he's, he will. He's got a lot of spending to do, especially if you're trying to pull off an animalistic freestyle. But you just think of this along the lines, too, of like Wakanda, right? We talked about how good Wakanda's ability is, because if you have a power, you're probably going to do it most of the time. If you've already activated, done all the things you want to do. So, yeah, he can spend up to three to reroll three dice. That's great. But really, it's just more along the lines of... Beast has Wakanda built into his. Do you just want to spend one this round to give yourself one extra defensive reroll? Probably. Well, always, yeah. The defensive rerolls are huge. Very good. His next superpower is an innate superpower. It is called disconcerting yet provocative. And on a side note, I love <laughs> the names of these powers. Just taking some of his best lines yes. from the 1992 x-men cartoon and turning them into powers giving us an excuse to think about that particular voice actor and those lines going through your head again it's it's honestly it's delightful it's nice disconcerting yet provocative reads whenever this character rolls dice after the effect is resolved it gains one power if it rolled at least one skull yes this is his scientific brain very cool so chris this is great notice it says Whenever this character rolls dice, that's a very intentional wording there. It's not when you roll dice on an attack or defense roll or something like that. This is anytime you roll dice. So when you're interacting with objectives that require you to roll dice, when you're defending, when you're dodging, when you're attacking, every time you roll a skull, which is always bad, beast at least gains power. And that is exceptionally nice. It makes the, the skulls on his dice do something on everyone else's dice they do nothing right it's kind of spreading the risk yeah and it's giving that him that power for the stars and garter right because now he has extra power to spend you know now that he's out of activation now he's being attacked well you might have messed up and rolled a bunch of skulls but now you've got a bunch of power to spend on your defense going forward i like that and beast has one more superpower it's innate he's a wall crawler oh i love it we thought he was mobile before He's even more mobile. Terrain has no effect on his movement. So this is wonderful. Like when he's getting all this extra movement, he's moving around the battle. He does not have to worry about running around terrain, things like that. He has free movement. I'm a big fan. I absolutely love it. There's not much more to say about it. It deserves more to be said about it because it's great. 
Oh yeah, we're going to see all these combinations of, of him striking and then ambushing and teleporting within range one of the target, and then he animalistic freestyles, pushes them, and then he gets a free move medium, and then like just craziness, right? All all with wall crawler. It's going to be so chaotic. I love. I it. can't wait. So now you've got me wondering, where does Beast fit in with the two X leadership abilities so far? Which team is Beast going to want to be on? Well, I think the safest and simplest answer is best, Chris. It's Storm's team because Beast with always having cover is gross. It's very good because we've already mentioned he's a really mobile character. And let's also mention too, his strike is range three and Storm's auto cover is three onward, right? So if you're always using his strike and positioning correctly, you're always getting her cover. Now, if his animalistic ambush takes over you of course are getting out of storm's cover but i will mention too and it's something me and omnis talked about in great detail last episode storm's second part of her affiliation is also really gross with beast teleporting beast a little hop every turn like range one of another character is also really gross and really nice well and i just want to speak thematically there for a second doesn't this just evoke cinematic style yes images in your head of just beasts materializing out of some fog Correct. flying across the screen and just disappearing again only to show up unexpectedly somewhere else and we talked about that in our storm episode that was you and i's first thought and it's wonderful oh yeah it's just wonderful and it, it's it's reality now it's it's so cool it really is so let's talk about him and scott's team so I think he's less viable in Scott's team, though I think we could switch this inversely. So Scott's team is, of course, all about getting those big spender attacks off. I don't think you necessarily use Scott's team to feed Beast his big spender attack, but I think you use Beast as like a tank slash somebody who's getting this disconcerting yet provocative extra power off, and then Beast pass the power to someone else and they do their big spender. I actually think that's potentially viable too, though much harder to pull off than this sort of storm giving him a teleport storm giving him auto cover these are things that just seem like they always work and i'm always going to probably take beast in my storm teams scott's teams i'm not sure time will tell and we talked about this off mic before the the episode i am very much <laughs> waiting for the day where there are the right character types created in this game that i can run a cheesy cyclops led team that's so funny with your thoughts on cyclops and your opinions of him i love that power it reminds me of the clones from star wars legion does if any of you have played star wars legion i love the clones sharing these tokens sharing these powers it really evokes that does feeling for me and that leads to some very cool stuff that you can pull off and and some very kind of i don't mean meta in the sense of the meta list, but I mean meta in in the sense of, of gameplay tricks, meta gameplay tricks of, well, I'm not so scared of, of this character here. They don't have enough power to pull off their big attack. <laughs> oh no, Beast just showed up out of nowhere, Passing the fed that power. character that power, and oh my gosh, I'm hurting. It's true. I'm interested in it. I really am. And I think Beast is a good candidate for that because of how mobile he is. You could almost use him... As a tank, like you were saying, but when he's needed, he can be the character that gets across the table to funnel that needed power to another character. I also think, Chris, he's somewhat a sneaky 
objective runner too. Like you're not, he's not someone you're going to run to objectives and run away. Like we do a lot with these objective runners, but that mid to late game, he can get across the table really quickly, knock someone out. They drop an objective. He picks it up. He gets away. You know, now he has cover from storm. Potentially these are crazy things where like he's deceptive in his role. He could be a bruiser, but then he also can switch sometimes to a mobile or objective runner or a tank. It's however you want to play him at the time. And I kind of love that he can be this different character, at different points in the game. Well, and his mobility offers that level of versatility. It does. Where he can kind of jack of all trades into these roles as the game dictates. You never kind of count on him to be that person in your game plan, but no game plan ever survives getting hit, you know? Well, I got to mention it while we're here, Chris, my first thoughts when I see him, he's like a size three, weak to energy, strong to physical, semi-tanky, he can give a punch back type character. I mean, he's obviously a weird offshoot, cheaper version of Venom. And that's pretty interesting to me because Beast covers one of Venom's greatest weaknesses, which is mobility. Venom's pretty slow, but then Venom covers one of Beast's greatest weaknesses is that he has more health and he has ways to heal himself and kind of make him even more bruisery. So Beast is like a discount Venom, but then he's got this crazy mobility on top of him. Obviously, they both share a similar thing where it's like they're size three. They're going to be seen most of the time. They have awful defense against energy, but they have great defense against physical and they've also got differences but it's just an interesting comparison now that the game continues to grow and we have more models that are more alike and more that are more different it's easy to draw parallels where it's like oh beast is kind of like a discount venom with more mobility but less tankiness that's interesting well it definitely helps get an understanding of how he's going to slot into teams for sure yeah but it also helps kind of group the characters in your mind when you've got this is the team I'm building and this is the role I need to fill. You can quickly go to this kind of group of characters in your head and think about what the minor differences in these characters would make them the best fit for that team. I agree. And something Omnis and I talked about, Chris, in the last episode, it's always a consideration to have in your mind is like, if I want X type character, say there are three costs, do I have the four cost version of that character or the two cost version of that character when the threat value changes, if that makes sense. Case in point here would be, I'm going to take Beast most of the time, but maybe if I have more points, I might take Venom. Maybe not. If they don't have a big energy threat on the side of the board and I want sort of a bruiser tanky character that could kind of fit in this fighting around the objective role that Beast and Venom both like to do. But then at the same time, the threat value is much lower. you got to pivot completely out of that. And you have to say, is there a two threat that I want that might fill some of these roles? Good questions to ask yourself. It comes kind of full circle to the beauty of the rule set that we've got yes. from Atomic Mass that we have to talk about these questions and that we're even talking to the point of which archetype of character are we including in our 10 because yes. is my four cost, is my two cost available to me? The varying threat levels that each game can have in its random nature just adds this wonderful layer of depth that you don't get in a lot of other games you're right and you also don't get to play beast in a lot of other games and i'm a big fan you of also that. don't get to be beast in a lot of other games it's just so very true because my beast is reading a book i mean just what's more intimidating on the battlefield you have a guy just across the table and he's just reading a book he's not even giving you attention you know he's trying to reread dune for the 50th time i found the anime writer that is the most anime <laughs> thing i've ever heard you say 
It's pretty good, right? It is good. I like it. I mean, I like anime. So yeah, that's the anime approach, I guess, of this battle. I guess, yeah, that's what Beast would be doing, I suppose. Well, I'm into it. I love it. Inadvertent anime writer reference. Fury's Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Fury's Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. Catch our streams of Marvel Christ Protocol at twitch.tv slash Fury's Finest and follow the show on social media. Twitter at Fury's Finest Cast and Instagram and Facebook at Fury's Finest. Email us at Fury's Finest at gmail.com. If you have any inquiries or future ideas for the show, we're still working on that Terrain and Components episode that will come out after X season and continue to leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. Turns out there's a lot of you guys listen to the show, and if everyone left a review on Apple Podcasts, we would immediately jump very high on the gaming podcast list. So if you haven't given us a review yet, we would really appreciate it. And then on top of that, if any of you are Apple users like we've talked about in the past, if you make sure to give us a review, it really helps us out because a big part of our listenership is Android users. And then on top of that, if your friend, family member, or partner have an Apple device. If you could maybe give us a review on there, it'd really help us out because there's a lot of people, Chris, that do not have Apple devices and they can't give us a review on the Apple store. And it's just part of life. It's just terrible how important the Apple store is. It's too important. For podcasting. But hey, man, we're on the top gaming podcast list and I am so so humbled every day that we're even there. It's absolutely amazing through our listeners, through plays and through our reviews. So if you guys can give us more reviews, that'll help us scale that Apple algorithm like Chris is talking about and get more people to MCP. That's the goal, man. Thanks to Approaching Nirvana for our intro and outro music. And like Jesse's saying, guys, just to help spread the word about the show, rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you guys so much. And once again, we have new designs on our Tee Public page. The link is in the show notes. We have Spider Family designs. We have X-Men designs. We have all of our original Avengers designs. Check it out. Omnis, man. Chris shocked me on our episode. It was the most amazing thing. On the interview I did with Omnis from Omnis Protocol, he was wearing our Infinity Gems shirt. And that was a amazing thing to see in the wild because it's personally one of my favorite shirts where it lists all the gems in all their correct colors. Because of course I looked those up and figured all that out. Well, you have to, man. You have to. There's a certain shade of yellow for that mind gem. It's just a certain shade. It has to be right. <laughs> it does. It does. You guys would expect nothing less from us, I hope. And it's a really neat shirt. It's also on hoodies and things like that. But of course, there's many other things like something Chris loves a lot, that Black Order comic book team with Supergiant on it. Yes, that is my favorite. I will be getting it on a hoodie soon, I think. It's very good. You can follow us guys on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Jesse Aiken. That, of course, is J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. And I have two Star Wars podcasts, one called Project Starhawk, all about Star Wars Squadrons, and another one called The Canon Cantina that's been going on for a long time. And we are talking recently, of course, about The Mandalorian Season 2. You should check it out if you're watching The Mandalorian Season 2 at all. And we all are. Come on. It's <laughs> it's too good. I'm going to force my way onto the Canon Cantina here pretty soon because I just got so much to say. It's probably about to happen. Chris, where can the people find you? You find me on Twitter at Chris Bruffett, C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T. And stay tuned for an announcement coming from me. It's true. Soon. Very soon. Sooner rather than later, I hope, but we'll see. 
we'll see. These things take time. Good things. Well, guys, that was a very exciting and robust episode of Fury's Finest. Thanks for listening. True believers. Excelsior. Excelsior.